my last, the last time I got ousted out of a community was actually the last community I was in before I came here. And I, the rabbis, you know, sat us down. We had a, uh, a not come to Jesus meeting. And then it's like, it's going to come out. Well, you know, okay, you believe in Jesus. Even when the flame goes out, the light is only concealed. Even when the flame goes out, the oil remains. The oil always remains. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, kind of a potpourri of a lot of different things. Uh, we want to go and touch on the recent Shavuot conference. So I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, my colleagues here about some of the highlights that they felt uh, happened this last Shavuot conference here. Uh, it was unique because uh, it was, I think it was our second Beth Emanuel-led, specifically, Shavuot conference. So I don't know if any one of you gentlemen want to chime in. Yeah, I mean, one one thing for me was just after after the whole pandemic and everything that we had, just to like to to all come together and have have a festival like that to have Shavuos uh, all together and to see all the people coming from from all over the country. It was just a wonderful experience. It was great to have a full building. I I have never been to any conference. Uh, yeah. previously so this is my first one but it was amazing oh, wow. just to see the building full of people and uh, people come from the outside and everybody excited wanting to learn yeah i think it was good uh just on that on that note it's always good to get you know people that are virtual congregants who come here and then you know obviously put a face with the name and just see i i think a lot of times when we're here we can take a lot of things for granted and then to see other people really appreciate the building or really appreciate the, mm -hmm. you know, different individuals here or the services or just, just different things that, you know, see how much they appreciate those things. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it helps re, you know, re, um, give us, I don't know, revigify. I don't know if that's yeah. the word, you know, reinforce. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, we've moved across the country, a lot of us or from a different country even, and we're here and like, okay, yeah, this is why we're here because this community, this building, this this congregation has all those things that a lot of people are looking for. Beth Emanuel is is an amazing place, but yeah, I totally agree with you. You can kind of lose some of the luster of it when you're here day in and day out, week in and week out, and to see it and to experience it through new eyes really does make it fresh, even for us. Yeah, one of the highlights for me, I think, was after, like you said, after the pandemic, and now you know the pandemic's dying down. And things like that and we're comfortable being around each other yeah. you know in big uh communities even or big groups i should say i think it was good to kind of get a little bit more energy you know re-intensify re i don't know the right word but to be able to go ahead and say okay yeah you breathe some new life into the community i think revivify. everybody revivify there you go hey <laughs> you know i think that uh you know a lot of us have kind of turned inward and isolated because we we're forced mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. and then you know it's a little bit of like, well, okay, you know, everybody's got their own lives going on, got into that rhythm. And so it's been a little challenging here to get, you know, volunteers and things like that, where, which, you know, a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, that's what this community, mm -hmm. that was something that made this community really great. So I think it's been really helpful to get more people involved and even just for more people to see, oh yeah, wow. Yeah. We do have something special here. I think it's also important that this was something that uh, Beth Emanuel did independently from you know previously yeah, absolutely. FFOZ has uh done uh you know really great 
conferences out of Beth Emanuel, but it's, it's important for us just as a community to represent ourselves and to stand on our own independently from any other organization and uh, just represent ourselves as a neighborhood and as a community, as a, as a synagogue. You know, I've been coming here since 2011, uh, so the last 11 years. And, you know, obviously the majority of those years have been been other people, you know, basically FFOZ led. So, you know, you hear Daniel Lancaster, Aaron Eby, and, you know, Boaz Michael, you hear all these people, but that's kind of the only voices that you hear. And, you know, obviously recently you've had Damien, you know, Rabbi Damien Eisner and things like that. But I think it was great to highlight the local voices mm-hmm. here. And whether it's through the, you know, Tikkun Lil Shavuot all night study. Um, and even though, you know, Daniel and Aaron still did the lion share of the teaching during the day, it was good to have like other voices mm-hmm. and to highlight those other voices and, you know, ha- allow people to see, oh yeah, wow, there's, you know, kind of a deep bench here. Mm-hmm. And the, the numbers of people that stayed up and uh, came out to learn. Oh, that was, night. yeah, that was amazing. And the youth, the teens, uh, they plopped themselves right in the front where the teachers were so they yeah, could uh, uh, stay connected. It, it was the best. I mean, like I said, I've been coming here for like 11 years and I think maybe like nine or 10 of those years, mm-hmm. you know, I was like kind of the only one just like, Hey mm-hmm. guys, let's get together. And it was just, you know, maybe like, you know, a few, a few snacks and two or three guys, you know, and stuff like that. And maybe some people that made it, you know, to like, I don't know, one, two in the morning, but it's definitely different than that. That's yeah, amazing. definitely. You know? And so it was, it was that, I mean, that was amazing. It was really amazing. One thing that I really liked about the Tikkun this year is that we brought everybody together. There wasn't yeah. a separate youth Tikkun. True. Yeah, that's um, right. There wasn't a separate adults and then like a coffee bar downstairs where right. people are right. just hanging around. You know, everybody was just all together. Um, and back to what you were talking about with uh, introducing the teachers of Hudson um, to to the long distance community. Right. There's there's really is. I made reference to this in my in my welcome address at the at the conference that there's a embarrassment of wealth of teaching here yeah. at Beth Yeah, Manuel. for sure. I think so, and I think that's you know kind of to talk more about you know, another subject we want to hit on today is that's the uniqueness of this community. Usually, uh, you know, like this community was kind of built around a teacher, you know, it was built around Daniel Lancaster, who's obviously still the driving force, but you know, one day he's going to retire, you know? And so we need to have other, other voices, whether it's going to be a team effort or, you know, bring in an individual who's going to be the main teacher or whatever, whatever the scenario is going to be. You know, I think it's important, obviously, and, and and there has been like a lot of other teachers. You know, Yoshi McLeod, myself, um, Ami Buckles has also been doing some teaching, and I know you've done teaching in the past, Sheldon Shalom, and uh, you know, not all those things have been recorded. So I think it was mm-hmm. also good for the virtual congregants to be like, oh wow, yeah, you know, this guy's a great teacher. Or, you That's know, true. even you know, Daniel Morales also, you know, let him, you know, Matthew Steele. You know, so we so we have a lot of people that can kind of rotate, and uh, you know, a lot of communities. You know, that's a, that's a wealth, you know, and, uh, that's some of the, one of the things I think that makes this place very unique. And uh, I don't know what, it, what about, what else do you guys think makes this, makes this place, if I can talk, right. Makes this place very unique. I, I think the time, you know, we've got kids who have grown up in this community Yeah, and, uh, Absolutely. They, they all know each other. Just, just seeing, um, young people outside, you know, shooting hoops, playing basketball and uh, yeah, absolutely. enjoying themselves. And um, it's it's like a huge family. And, and because 
a lot of people are actually related to each other. It is family. <laughs> so I have a funny story. One time I went to uh, I went to the movies here. There's a great movie theater in Hudson, by the way. Hashtag uh, come home to Hudson. And, uh, you know, it was funny because it was like, I don't know, maybe 10 people or something like that. And so then, you know, everybody, the the theater people, the theater workers are asking like, oh, it's like a, you know, a church youth group or something like that or whatever. And I was like, oh, no, it's just a couple families. And then everybody laughed. Just like, yeah, there was two families and me, yeah, <laughs> you know, because yeah, yeah. everybody else is related through either through marriage or uh, obviously, you know, cousins and things like that. But, I, I you know, on that note, I think there's a lot of Messianic communities that kind of have a revolving door of uh, new congregants. And so it can kind of seem like, oh, yeah, you know, our community is doing well. But I think one of the marks of like a very healthy Messianic community is that there's multiple generations. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, and that's not it. That's a very unique thing here. You have, mm-hmm. you know, two, three generations represented in mm-hmm. families that are still here. You know, and, you know, they were raised here and then now they're raising their kids here, you know, or, you know, they founded this this place and then their kids are now raising, you know, they're raising their grandkids and things like that. That's that's something you don't see in most Messianic congregations. Mm-hmm, very few. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, and then also, like, you know, we talked about the uniqueness of uh, having a, a multitude of teachers here, too. And, uh, you know, I think it would be good also to to look at what are some of our backgrounds? You know, this is kind of a, an oasis, you know, I think for a lot of us who have tried to go the route of, you know, being in a traditional uh, traditional Jewish congregation or, or community and then... Uh, you know, got uh, politely asked to go ahead and leave or told that, okay, you're visitors, but uh, that's about the extent of your involvement here. And uh, that's that's something unique. You know, people have moved across the country. I know I did myself and uh, or moved, you know, from even out of the country. Yeah. So uh, for myself, I spent about seven years in a reform synagogue and um, I, I can recall a situation. So um I'm a convert. And at the time, I didn't know um, what it was I could do and couldn't do. I'd been called for Hagba. I'd lifted the Torah. I'd taken the Torah out of the ark and walked it around the room. And I can recall an, an event where there was a guest speaker from New York. And um, I was there about 30 minutes early. He saw me um, anticipating the service. And he asked me if I wanted to uh, be called up to the Torah. And so I said, sure. And he said, what's your name? And I gave him my English name. I said, my name's Tim. And he said, okay, great. And um, he called me up for an aliyah to the Torah and said, called up Tim. And uh, <laughs> Rabbi Harley, <laughs> he he dove in, in front of me, put his body between me and the like, bima. No! And said, no! You know, he's not <laughs> Jewish. And the entire community, everybody there, we all knew each other. Yeah. Everybody there, their faces were red. Everybody was humiliated. Uh, the rabbi's face, my face, the guest speaker's face. And then the guest speaker got up uh, to give his talk and he said, and he was reading from the top of his notes. This wasn't off the cuff. He said, my talk tonight is my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And and he got up and uh, he was humiliated. We were all humiliated. But those kinds of interactions weren't just fueled by the fact that I was somebody who wasn't Jewish yet. It was fueled by the fact that I was a believer in Yeshua. Yeah. And I had told people as much and I was honest about where I was coming from. Sure. And it was it was a real sincere feel of panic. Right. That somebody that might have that uh that belief might be validated. 
And yeah. had I been someone who said, oh, no, I, I no longer believe that. Uh, I think that's silly. I no longer believe that Yeshua is, is the Messiah. I think I would have been politely patted on the shoulder and told we're going to have to make an adaptation today. Gee, that's never happened to me. <laughs> well, how, how has it happened to you? I mean, you know, so I've been in Messianic communities for like last 20 years and um, just a lot of them don't have, and I get, I don't know, I get emotional, I don't know why. Um, a lot of them don't have services, you know, like a second day of a holiday or like Friday nights. Uh, a lot of times, you know, once it becomes a thing where, you know, people get to know you a little bit better and they ask, you know, hey, what's your, you know, what's your deal? What's your situation? And they find out, um, you know, I was single for the majority of those last, you know, 20 years plus. And, you know, they're like, oh, you know, well, hey, are you looking, you know, and stuff like that. And then, so then, then it kind of warrants a, a more, a more uh, sharper scrutinization into your background. And then it's like, it's going to come out. Well, you know, okay, you believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like, okay, then that's becomes like the, you know, odds con, you know, it's like, great. And, you know, you're, you know, I remember my last, the last time I got ousted out of a community was actually the last community I was in before I came here. And, you know, I was going to like this community and it, it was with Yoshi McLeod and the rabbis, you know, sat us down. We had a, uh, uh, a not come she come to Jesus meeting, <laughs> and uh, you know they were like, "Oh, but you guys are such great guys, and you know, oh man, how are you going to raise your kids, and how are you guys going to get married?" And you know, we're like, "Yeah, we know these are problems," <laughs> right. but um, you know, it was funny because I was talking to one of the rabbis, and you know, I was just saying, "Okay, you know, before we get, we kind of gave a game plan, you know, beforehand. It's like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to?" represent ourselves and I was like well we believe in Yeshua but we believe in the historical Yeshua not the Yeshua of Christian faith and you know we're going to try that route and see how uh, how it worked and it didn't uh you know he was basically uh you know kind of giving that giving that the background and then one of the rabbis piped in and interrupted me and it's like you know well I talked to a pastor and you know a pastor said that uh you know the law is done away with mm -hmm. and you know, et cetera. And you, and you know, that's the apostle Paul from the book of acts. And he was like trying to, you know, show <laughs> off that he knew that. And he's like, yeah, and I got that from a pastor. So like, who are you to say anything different? And I'm like, okay. And I guess we're done here. So, you know, and then, I mean, I think a lot of other people, you know, whether they've been to like some, you know, Chabad house in some small community, you know, in the United States or another country or, uh, you know, try to kind of mix in with a conservative reform synagogue. Oftentimes, even those more liberal synagogues are more welcoming, unless you believe in Jesus. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's like, I mean, you can be, you know, homosexual, trans, you know, maybe even not believe in God, you know. Absolutely not <laughs> believe in God. Yeah, yeah I mean, fine. it's a question, do the rabbis even believe in God? Sure. <laughs> you know, but uh, that's, you know, the one demarcation of like, oh, okay, yeah, this is... This is not, you cannot go forward, you know, with this, because what if you infect somebody, you know, with your, with your belief or you get married and, you know, all those kinds of things. So anyways, a lot of us have moved at a uh, great cost or, you know, great cost mm -hmm. of just, you know, change of culture, change of uh, identity almost, you know, in terms of like, okay, you know, I grew up in, you know, born and raised in Los Angeles. And it was a huge culture shock for me to move to the Midwest. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, a lot of us have done that because, this, this, like I said before, this is kind of an oasis. I've never had the experience, thank God, um, of being like excised, you know, kicked out. So you're not part of the club, you're saying? <laughs> 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of part of the club, but uh, well, part of the get kicked out of synagogue club. Not not in that club exactly. <laughs> I started out way back uh, in in church. You know, in I went to uh, Foursquare Church, and thank God they were very pro Israel. And you know, I remember I remember the pastor there uh, talking about you know this is a a tallis. Explaining how what sitsis are and he uh, wrap it around his neck and stuff. No, 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 no. Okay, no, it was it wasn't his, and I'm sure he was taught by uh, this this guy who was my mentor in that congregation, mm. Pete Taylor, amazing man that that has really shaped and set me on on a, a course that I've had uh, for my whole life. Shout out to Pete Taylor. Yeah, yeah, he comes up a lot in my in my conversations around the Shabbos table. It wasn't until like around 2010. When I'm like 30 years old, you know, honestly, a little bit uh, frustrated that, you know, Hashem hasn't, you know, brought me my Zivug yet. Like I haven't, uh, haven't found my, my partner yet. Soon speedily in our days. Amen. I ended up at a, uh, a church of Christ. Uh, it was kind of by accident. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine was going there and he was just saying, hey, you know, we're having a Bible study. Mm-hmm. So I went to this Bible study and then I realized after a while, like they were focusing on me, you know? <laughs> ah, I see. Because <laughs> I was the new guy that needed to like recommit his life. Ah. You know? Anyway. Um, were you the Jew guy also? The whole, the, the, whole time, the whole time I was like, did you know Jesus was a rabbi? <laughs> <You know? laughs> tell, tell them all the stuff that I knew, like from all my years before. Anyway, so what what I really did enjoy about that congregation was their devotion to the scriptures. Sure. Yeah. Whether or not they have the exact correct uh, interpretations of all of those scriptures, they were very interested in in learning and studying and mm-hmm. uh, becoming the best disciples they could be. They're very kingdom oriented, although I think we probably define that word a little bit differently than they do. Sure, sure. But I always remember or think to myself, like, you know, if if Yeshua like stood before these people and said, actually, like, here's what I meant, they would be like, oh, we want to learn exactly what you meant. You know, we want to do exactly what you what you want us to do. You know, so I I think that's that's how I like to look at uh, at congregations that maybe don't have our perspective on things. Sure. Anyway, so. One thing that was frustrating there, I couldn't express my Jewish identity or Jewish expression as a disciple. Yeah, and that's changing in a lot of churches, but yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I, still an issue. We, there was to a point we, we I would bring things up in Bible studies. I led like a, uh, a high Sode class over there. Oh and wow! Everything. So, so I could to a point, but in order to and and in order to grow actually my own expression, I started going to. Chabad. And that was amazing. Like that's where I learned. That's where I really learned patience with Mm. others. Like they taught me like amazing things there. I love the rabbi there. Um, Even if you don't name names, we all know it was either a a Mendy or a Mendel. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. No. Okay. Menachem. Nope. Uh, Well, one 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 of his kids, (laughs) one of his kids was named. uh, You know, I remember. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. There's a Mendel and a Hershey, and there's they're all there. Yosef Yitzhak and Yosef. Oh yes, of course, of course. That was an incredible place to learn and daven and be be a part of services Mm -hmm. and celebrating holidays and everything. However, like the opposite side of the coin, like I I can't express my my belief in Yeshua and being a disciple of Yeshua like mm-hmm. has to be something that 
is not brought out to the forefront. You know, I honestly wasn't being deceptive. Like I talked to the rabbi and said like, hey, like I I just came out of the church pretty recently Mm -hmm. and I haven't exactly like uh, left all those things that Mm -hmm. I that I learned there. And he says, no, you should keep coming. And so thank God. And that's that's also kind of been my goal here interacting with the community here is to be just like open with who I am because I never want to like, God forbid, like be accused of trying to be deceptive or anything. I mean, if it happens anyway, it happens, you know, but I don't want it to be happen like because like offenses, you know, will happen, but like, like woe to the person who, you know, causes the offense. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be that person. Yeah. I think you have an amazing, you, you have had some inroads with, uh, the Chabad community here mm-hmm. in uh, Minneapolis, or yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, it's, Sim, it's Simcha Paul atrophied a little bit since uh, since the pandemic. Oh but, yeah. yeah, but um, I mean, I don't know if it's just your personality. I, I always admire people who are able to do that because, like, I feel like I go into a Chabad house or another synagogue, and you know, everybody's just like, okay, you know, that's great, and you know, they have a good, you know, great relationship, build a relationship, and then as soon as the elephant in the room comes out or is revealed, I should say. And it's like, well, it's been nice knowing you, but I, I, you know, I really admire that you've been able to have uh, some good relationships. It's been surprising to me, you know, that you've been able to have some good relationships with the Chabad community here. And, yeah. you know, that's, I don't know, maybe it's a testament to to your personality or character. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I think, I think like even without Yeshua, you're already an elephant in the room, Yisro. And then yeah, you, you add in Yeshua and there's like two. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, the, the thing is, is that sometimes if, if you just inform somebody of the beliefs that you have, okay, now you're a missionary. You just yeah. inform me yeah. of your beliefs yeah. and you're a missionary now. Sure. And if you keep quiet because you just want to daven or you just want to eat with friends mm-hmm. or whatever the thing is that you're, you're there to get, um, uh, to experience, well, now you're deceptive. Yeah. And now you're covert. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, yeah. you you have a, a bit of experience about that. Oh, talking about the talking about that. the elephant in the room here. Yeah, yeah no joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously, recently I I moved here directly from Israel, and the last you know year or so that that we were there, um, actually it was, it was it was more than that. We had so many issues with people, uh, you know, making crazy accusations. You know, like. Uh, the reason why we had children is to train them to be missionaries <laughs> and to go into school and to missionize kids and things like that. And the truth is, is that my kids had never heard of Yeshua until they came to the United States. Yeah, that's right. Until we came to Hudson. They heard of Mashiach, but they not... They heard of Mashiach. We talked about Mashiach, but... But they didn't know his name, right? No, they didn't know anything about uh, Mashiach's name. They they didn't know that he had uh, uh, been born. Uh, I mean, there's a story in the Gemara they might have heard, but uh, they... They, they, they knew nothing about about Yeshua, and right. um, and so what and, what I did is I talked to them about the the character of mm-hmm. of of a proper Jew and the idea of self sacrifice and um, values of being forgiving and extending yourself to other people. And so basically, the teachings of a rabbi. Yeah, absolutely. And but I didn't want them to have to to hold a secret inside. I yeah. figured it would uh, it would damage them. Uh, psychologically mm-hmm. to have a secret that they were needing to keep um, from their friends, from their teachers, whatever like this. And so we actually didn't tell our kids that. And yet it was our children that had, it was my smallest uh, son who had the biggest issue. You know, he's a three-year-old kid uh, at Gone 
and um, they're making WhatsApp WhatsApp groups uh, accusing us of having a missionary oh my child. Gosh. And by, by the way, gone is a is a Hebrew for preschool, right? Kindergarten, preschool, kindergarten, something yeah, like sure. that. In his case, preschool, I guess, uh, preschool age. But all the same, he'd obviously never heard about these kinds of things. Not talking on this deep level uh, uh, with with a three year old. We're we're learning the parsha and putting our tzitzit on <laughs> and washing hands. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. Basically, you were falling down on the job of raising a missionary kids, essentially. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, needless to say that uh, just existing, I think, is really the problem. It really comes yeah. down to, for a lot of people, the issue isn't about whether you keep your mouth shut or whether you open your mouth. It's the fact that you exist. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, it's funny. My wife and I have talked about, you know, we've talked about moving to Israel and, you know, that's always on, on our mind. But, you know, it's just been like, well... I don't think we're welcome in Israel right now. And it makes sense because neither is our rabbi. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not welcome there either. Mm-hmm. I mean, sad to say. Yeah. It, well, if you stick him in the right building. <laughs> That's I mean, true. You stick him in the right building. And um, uh, strangely enough, it's, it's, it's not an issue. Just a quick aside. The one thing that the Lubavitcher Rebbe once said, when somebody came to him and said, I want to be a shaliach to Israel. Like, I want to go to Israel. Oh, wow. Like, and the Rebbe said, Make Israel here, mm. Mm. and so that I always think about that. Like, let's let's make like this may not be the kingdom here in Hudson, but right. let's make the kingdom here. Well, yeah. actually, Hudson's amazing. Yeah, because just walking down the street uh, from my house, uh, coming to the Beit Knesset, not every Jew on that street is a member. Yeah. of Beth Emanuel. Yeah, that's also true. And yet, everyone is friendly. And we're all saying Shabbat Shalom to each other when it's appropriate. And wow. we're, you know, and, uh, you know, they're waving at the kids and everyone, it, it's a community. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's a good, it's a good landing place. I mean, I think of like Rabbi Aaron Cutler, um, when he came to the United States, he wanted to build a place of, you know, a Makum Torah, you know, a place of Torah. And uh, so what did he do? He, he basically, he said, well, okay, let's find a place that's close enough to the city you know, close enough to Manhattan, but far enough away that, you know, all the Bokhrim, all the yeshiva students wouldn't get so distracted. And I kind of mm-hmm. look at Hudson as, as as a place like that. And, you know, he built what, you know, became Muncie. You know, now everybody has heard of Muncie, New Jersey, or it might not be Muncie, I can't remember. Um, anyways, this is a city in New Jersey. Now everybody's heard of it, and there's, you know, plenty of yeshivas there, et cetera. Lakewood? Lakewood, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you, thank you. Lakewood. Yeah, Muncie's in New York. Yeah, yeah that's right. But now, as you say Lakewood, I mean, everybody's heard of Lakewood before. But, you know, back in his day, that was nothing. You know, it was just a, a small town in, mm-hmm. in New Jersey. And I kind of look at, like, Hudson, and like, wondering, like, okay, can, that, can Hudson become that one day? Mm-hmm. You know, it's close enough to the cities, to Minneapolis-St. Paul, but far enough away that we don't get distracted, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. by, by city life. But also, it's far enough away. It's a good distance away from the Jewish community, which is really small in uh, the in the, city, in the Twin Cities. Thank God we've had a good relationship with them. Obviously, you know, we patronage, patronage their their businesses, etc. And uh, we visited a few synagogues here and there. And they're, they're quick to tell us, oh, yeah, you guys are just visitors, right? <laughs> but uh, I think it's I think it's been good. We've been able to focus, uh, you know, focus on kingdom work here. And I mean, and this synagogue is, you know, in in the past, I'd, I heard different kinds of ideas. Uh, there was an idea that, that Gabriel Geffen... Uh, I, I believe it was him. He presented the, the concept of just attending your local Beit Knesset, wherever you're right. living, just attend that shul locally 
And um, if you want to meet up with other people who have the same ideas as you, or you want to, you know, something, then do that during the week. And and that does make a certain amount of sense. You know, people say, oh, well, there, I don't know any um, religious Jews who are believers in Yeshua. And so he said, well, why pull everybody out of every synagogue right. and, uh, uh, and eliminate all believers from being in, in those shuls? But at the same time, having a community and having a synagogue where everybody down that row where you're sitting, they all know yeah. you, they know you deeply, you know them, you can sure. share everything about yourself. You can, you know, get called up to the Torah and not fear that uh, you're going to disappoint somebody when they find out um, that you believe that Yeshua is, mm -hmm. is Mashiach. Yeah, I think that that can be done in larger communities mm -hmm. um, where you kind of go and hide a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's invaluable. I think all, you know, all three of us here have had experiences in the larger Jewish community. Yeah. And then we bring that to Hudson, you know, where most yeah. people here have not been to a, a, you know, Jewish synagogue in the larger community, or maybe even not another Messianic synagogue. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's invaluable to bring those experiences here, you know, just be like, okay, this is what normal is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so people don't feel so stiff or like rigid of like, oh my gosh, are we making mistakes or, you know, these kinds of things. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like the nation of Israel, like not the the state of Israel. I should say, they it didn't exist, and so obviously a lot of you know most of our brothers and sisters perished in the Holocaust. But if Israel would have existed, and they okay, they would have had a home, mm -hmm. would have a place that you can go, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I think that's I look at Hudson like that. You know, mm -hmm. that's like even even if people go from here and, you know, go to different states or different things like that, they can always come back. Or if they live in different states, mm -hmm. you know, they can always come here and have this kind of like a home base. I think of it kind of almost like like the the uh, Lubavitch model where, you know, they send all their shlichim, you know, throughout all the world. and But they always come back to, to Brooklyn, you know, they, they mm -hmm. always come back to Crown Heights and they're able to kind of like have that as their home base. You know, Hudson can be that for a lot of people, even if they live in East Coast, West Coast, you know, north, south, you know, wherever. It's like this can kind of be their home base. Mm -hmm. You know, I know of a couple of people that that's kind of they just consider that it's okay. They come here, you know, once, twice, you know, three times a year, whatever they can afford. And okay, they just, you know, make their yearly or whatever pil pilgrimage here almost. Yeah, so I think it's unique in that way. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why a place like this needs to, needs to exist. Yeah, absolutely. I would really encourage any of the people that, that came to the conference or... Anybody who who didn't and wishes they did come to any of the the holidays. Yeah, I mean even even Yom Kippur. <laughs> right. Sure. Of course. <laughs> it's it's a whole nother experience to be davening together with all with all these people. Absolutely. And then, you know, on the days when we can eat, like to to get together and eat around the table together, and it, those are the days I cherish the most. Or even just come for a Shabbat. Yeah, also. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's an Shabbat. It's an event in Hudson, you know? Yeah. Just being able to walk down the street and uh, holler at your friends while they're standing on their porch. And... Or the kids, you know, playing from yeah. house to house. And, Absolutely. You know, things like that. And, you know, you go into different parks and, you know, just running into other other Beth Emanuelite family, families and things like that. I really like when uh, when we hear from these people ahead of time. Hey, I'm planning on coming because mm -hmm. then we can get them a, a place to uh, sure. to stay and, yeah. uh, to and a place to eat. Mm -hmm. Like uh, we don't want you just, you know, eating in your hotel room when you when you come to Hudson. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we're a family. Come on. 
You know, I think also the idea of like most, a lot of people have transitioned into Messianic Judaism and, you know, maybe they came from a church or, you know, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Messianic Judaism, I mean, Judaism as as religion is, is a community-based religion. I mean, it's pretty hard to do on your own. Yeah. And, you know, it's pretty impossible, you know, basically at some points of the year. You know, you need other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's a really great idea. I've always said, you know, to other families who, you know, like, hey, I wish we had, you know, what you guys have there. I wish we had it here. You know, I've always said, you know, well, okay, one of the ways to get that is to just invest, invest the time and money that, okay, once a year or, you know, once a quarter, you know, three times a year, two times a year, whatever you can do. Okay, our family goes to some event, it goes to the holidays, the high holidays, you know, Passover, whatever it is. And that's okay. That's part of what our just family does. That's our family tradition. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's invaluable for other people to do that because you can't really do this religion you know, on your own. It's really, it's really not designed that way. Well, I think uh, this is a good place to wrap it up. I think so too. Awesome. How do we, how do we wrap it up? Oh. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Just like this. The kingdom is only concealed. Even when the throne is gone, the king remains. Even when the throne is gone, the kingdom is only concealed. King always remains